Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And they were sitting around having a, a cup of tea in a, in a sort of front parlor in a Manchester building and uh, there was a big pause and then uh, Eric Cantona said uh, would you like a Jemmy Dodger <laughs> and he said it was, it was just about the funniest improvised line he's ever heard but when I was with Richard Wilson who was a Manchester United fan and, and when when Norwich scored he actually did go I don't believe it <laughs> and we all went oh Richard football okay. At the end of the day, football, it's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Hello, welcome to Comedians Talking About Football, episode 13. I'm Sam Michael, and today's guest is an actor and comedy veteran who's graced our screens on some of the UK's most popular sitcoms, soaps and dramas for four decades, and has gone on to create the hugely successful podcast, Mind Time Capsule. He's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and he's talking about Manchester United. If you're a fan of comedy, you're going to love this episode just as much as if you're a Red Devils fan. Mike has some amazing stories, not just from his incredible career working among some of the greatest comedians of all time, past, present and future, but also some jaw-dropping stories from when he's had the pleasure to be in the company of some Manchester United legends, and I mean legends. So I want to get into the episode as quickly as I can so you can enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Uh, But just a quick note to say that if you're new to the podcast, why not go back and check out the previous episodes of Comedians Talking About Football? And if you enjoy the series, why not hit subscribe, leave a review, or even just tell your friends. I really appreciate it. Anyway, let's kick back and enjoy some great football and comedy chat from the legend. That is Mike Fenton-Stevens. Groovy. The funny old game. Comedians talking about football. 
Michael Fenton Stevens. He is a comedian, a singer, a singer with a number one single under his belt as well, a podcaster and an actor who's appeared in iconic television programmes such as The Crown, Coronation Street and EastEnders. His comedy acting credits include... Not going out. My dad's the prime minister. Two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Outnumbered. Spitting image. Tis was. Drop the dead donkey. Mr. Bean. One foot in the grave. Who dares wins? As time goes by. My hero. Smith and Jones. Lee Evans. So what now? Swiss Tony. Look around you. Nighty night. Mike Bassett. Manager series. Kate. Katie Brand's big ass show. Josh Benedorm. Only fools and horses. To name a few. <laughs> yeah, that's the edited version. Uh, well, I think that's all we got time for. Uh, thanks for your time today. <laughs> uh, no, seriously. I mean. Um, it's great okay. to have you on. It's great to have you on. And what an amazing list of shows that you've appeared in over the years. And without a doubt, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them uh, throughout the throughout the hour. Okay, um, great. So, so much I want to ask you. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, I was really excited about this podcast because I realised you're, you're an actor who has pretty much been there kind of throughout everything I've watched. I mean, I remember seeing you in episodes <laughs> of Mike and Angelo. When I was younger, yeah. and various you know um, shows. When I was younger, in kind of the the early nineties, and obviously then as I got older and watched various sitcoms like Only Fools and Horses, One Foot in the Grave, I would have I would have uh, recognised you through there, and all the way up to now, where I've saw. Yeah, you, you can tell the age of people from different things that they they reference when they talk to you. It's very interesting, you know. I mean, I have a whole group of people who are now in their forties, I think, probably yeah, probably forties, forties, fifties, who who basically you know. Quite often when I turn up to an audition for something or I turn up to an interview for a job, there'll be somebody quite senior who will be smirking in the corner. And it turns out that when they were school kids, they were fan of a, fans of a radio show that I did called Radioactive years and years right, ago in the yeah. 80s. And, uh, and once a fan, you know, always a fan. So these people then become the executive producer of some television, massive television show. And then you walk in and they go, hello, I remember your character on Radioactive. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> And you go, great, can I have the job? And they go, no, you still got an audition. <laughs> That's not fair. Oh, well, and of course, we were talking just for, for a minute um, before we recorded that it's uh, you're quite excited to be chatting Manchester United tonight. And you say normally you have a bit of a beer group, you get together and you and a, you and a friend, you, you talk of, well... Yeah, well, we're always talking about Man United, of course, you know, and over the last few years, there's been a lot to talk about. You know, but um, but of course, like all great fans, like, well, I call myself a great fan, but like all fans, I'll just use the, I'll take the great out. Uh, you know, we almost enjoy the failure as much as we enjoy the success. So, uh, people criticise Man United fans because they say, well, you know, of course you, of course you are. You've got this fantastically wealthy club, incredibly successful. They've won everything. They can buy whoever they like. And you go, well, yeah, that's not absolutely true, is mm. it? Particularly since the rise of Man City, of course. You know, where in fact Man United have, have often come second in the in the buying stakes. You know, it was true for a while that if Man United wanted a player and went after them, they sort of got them. But that was also based on their success, which you can't buy. You can't just mm. buy uh, being, you know, the best club in the world. You can't do it. It has to come from something else. We were very fortunate, of course, to have Ferguson for years and years and years, the great uh, greatest manager in the history of football, without a doubt, you know, which I can say on this podcast because it's about Man United. Nobody's going to gainsay me. But I don't think there is much of an argument, really. You know, there are other great Italian managers, I think, and uh, you can look at, you can say, well, how many times have people won, won the European Cup? You know, well, that's a difficult thing to win. You know, 
And uh, Man United, when you think about it, went all those years without any real great success. You know, and that's the great achievement of Ferguson is to take a side that had been slumbering and, you know, occasionally getting to the finals of things, occasionally getting the FA Cup final, doing quite well in some cups, but not, you know, really not like they they should have been Mm. uh, considering the club they were. And a club that in the 70s was uh, was relegated, you know, lost a lot of players. It was it's extraordinary that he turned it into this world beating side. And we had that that fantastic period of football with Man United. That was the thing that I, and it was just a joyous thing because for me that sort of started, you know, in my late forties. So I'd gone my entire life supporting a side that that didn't quite achieve what everybody expected them to. You still got ridiculed for being a Man United supporter because you know they say, "Oh yeah, right, easy, choose Man United." You go, "Well, well hang on a minute. When did they last win anything? <laughs> we haven't won the league for you know donkey's years." And uh, I have to say the reason I'm a Man United supporter is because my father, and we lived in London, a typical Man United supporter, (laughs) as everybody would always say. But we lived in London. We lived in in Bermondsey, so right near Millwall Football Ground. And uh, I would watch the crowds come back from Millwall and walk past the house every day. My parents were both Millwall fans because you supported your local team. And that was what I was destined to support, but I was born in February 1958. So uh, my father insisted that I was a Manchester United supporter, which he became a Man United supporter, to really to show support to a team that had lost most of its players in a in a terrible disaster. You know, so it was it was drilled in me into me from a, a very early age that that's what I should be. And once you've got that bug, mm. once you've been told that by your your father, usually, or you've chosen a team with your mates at school when you're very young and you don't really know what it means. But, you know, generally people stick with it and you have it for life. I mean, my son-in-law is a Nottingham Forest supporter. Oh. Uh, you may say, why on earth are you a Nottingham supporter? You know, what, what, would that, what would bring that about? But, of course, he was at the susceptible age for choosing a football team when Brian Clough was in charge and they won the European Cup of course. two years in a row. Mm. You know, they, they won it and then they won it again. I mean, that's an extraordinary achievement. And uh, so it's understandable that he should fall in love with that side. But, you know, you don't abandon teams. Now, I'm fortunate that that I didn't abandon the team. And then they had that incredible, wonderful period yeah. where, you know, but still I remember the losses. Still I remember the, the bad moments. I remember the uh, way they where they should have won and they didn't, you know despite all the times when they looked like they weren't going to win when they should, and then they did. They did that brilliant thing so often at the end of games where they would just just pile the pressure on, you know. The ultimate game, of course, being, you know, Barcelona, which I very nearly went to, and uh, it's a great regret that I didn't. I was about a week before it. I had an offer to get some tickets, but they said you've got to get there, and the flights were incredibly expensive. So I, I did say to my son, should we drive? And and then I thought, no, it's crazy, it's crazy. So I didn't. But <laughs> oh, I no. did. But I did stay and watch. I watched that that final, nineteen ninety nine. I watched that mm. final with my neighbour uh, Gerhard, uh, who was a lovely man. Sadly, no longer with us. He was a delightful man from near Munich, and uh, and he had all his friends over, really and they all watched it as well. So I watched that final sitting in amidst. <clears throat> a great horde of Bayern Munich fans, all with their scarves on, mm. and they were ready. And about um, about ten minutes from the end, 
they sort of got up and went and got a drink and somebody patted me on the shoulder and he said, oh, it's just such a shame, I think, because Manchester United have been so incredible the whole season. I think they've mm. been uh, very entertaining and uh, so adventurous. And uh, I think it's a great shame. And I said, what's a great shame? He said, that you have lost. And I said, well, we haven't lost yet. Ten minutes ago. And yeah. he said, yes, no, I, I think you have. When you get to this point with Bayern Munich, then, then it is over. And I went, okay. And I'm not, not, I'm not proud of my reaction when that first goal went. <laughs> I'm Did you not look over... for him? Did you look for that oh, particular supporter? I, I ran around the room and it ate in his face. You know. <laughs> That's how it's it got to be. shameless. And then, of course, a minute later, I, I did it again. And then I ran up and down the street. <laughs> and then I went and thought, That's no good. So I went straight in and I'd had a drink. So I went and had a, went straight to bed, which is weird. Because I knew what I was going to do. And at first thing in the morning, about three o'clock in the morning, I set the alarm, I got up and I drove to Manchester. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, I couldn't, well, you know, I mean, I'd waited all my life for that, for something so momentous. And oh, uh, and I got my son up and I said, come on, in the car. And off we went. We Amazing. drove. And it, it was it was not a great day. I mean, I think there were lots of people going to Manchester so that the roads were packed. I knew there would be. We went all over the country trying to find a way into Manchester that would get us here. And I got there. As we drove into Manchester, we went past the airport. And I said to my son, I think they'll be arriving at the airport first. So we drove to the airport and yeah. parked there. And then we went inside. And there were a, a large group of Man United fans. And as we arrived, they came through um, oh, off the plane. Oh, fantastic. That's with brilliant. The so I saw them in that, in that small environment. Yeah. And then we all cheered them. And they all went through. And then, um, then we went to the station and jumped on a train together, all of us, all singing songs all the way into Manchester, got off, went into the town centre and, uh, and watched the bus go by. It was really glorious. Uh, my, my, my friend, my so, sort of uh, career-long friend, Angus Deaton, who mm. is also a famous Manchester United fan, um, not that I'm famous, but he is a famous Manchester United fan, and he has great privileges. He he sort of knows directors and all sorts of things, so he's always being invited up there, and he has a season ticket, and he's always sitting in the director's box. And oh, going, wow. you know, there was a there was a time when uh, I think when there was a you know there wasn't a European match that he didn't travel on the plane with the team really to matches all over Europe. I mean, amazing! Yeah. Can you imagine? But he 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 was in a pub in London watching it with the um, with the daughter of one of the directors. Oh, really? Who was on the bus? Oh, okay. This man was on the bus at the back, and and she was talking to him, and somebody said, "Well, you say love in the pubs." And he said, "This, she's um, that's her dad there." And he went, "Which one?" And went the bloke at the back, the director of the of Man United. And he went, "Yeah, sure." And she said, "It is. It is my dad." <laughs> he went, you're going to prove it. So she got her mobile phone out and and went, and the bloke on the bus went, got his phone out of his pocket, held it to her, and she said, Dad, Dad, you see the camera to the left? Can you wave at it? And he went, no. That's amazing. <laughs> she oh, got yeah. bought lots of drinks. It's I a bet. Thing, isn't it? That's yeah. fantastic. I've never heard that before. That's that's absolutely amazing. The thing I remember clearly <laughs> about that bus thing, and some people said it was down to um to them being quite shy and everything, but both Roy Keane and Paul Scholes almost the whole way through kept away from the cups and sat at the back of the bus. 
people say, well, Paul Scholes was very shy, didn't like all that sort of stuff. But I think that both of them felt that they hadn't won all three, mm. which is a shame, really, if they ever felt that, because as far as fans were concerned, they were absolutely crucial. I remember the the picture of they were made to walk through the middle of like they made a uh, sort of guard of honor for them and they walked through in their suits. When you yeah. fast forward, you know, a good um 10 years and you've got John Terry who didn't even play in the final putting on his full <laughs> kit to do it. And yeah, yeah. And probably yeah, would they still really do it didn't. now. <laughs> yes, would do any moment a drop of a hat. <laughs> but but they didn't they really looked as if they they didn't want to be there, you know. Yeah. They, they they felt that this was not something they should celebrate, which is a, a shame because they played in all the other games. And mm. we would never have got to the final without Keane. I've got very vivid memories of of that final and that season altogether. Um, because similarly, my dad is he's quite a Man United fan, was brought up, um, was born exactly the same year as you, actually. So kind right. of grew up yeah. around the same time and and uh you know was a big George Best fan and uh, mm-hmm. you know, the various players through the through the years. And so around that time I was getting into football, I was about nine, ten years old. And uh, I wasn't yet cursed as a sort of full-time Reading fan, as I eventually became. Again, you talk <laughs> about the losses and the memories of the losses. I've got plenty of them, plenty of them, not yeah. so many of the wins, but there we go. So I, I remember really getting into the Premier League around that time. And I had a fascinating, a real fascination with just good football. And of course, Man United were playing that. Other teams as well, but specifically Manchester United. Yeah, Arsenal, that time. Arsenal, the great rival at the time. But, you know, when you look at that team and Henri and, uh, you know, just... Uh, Fantastic! Yeah, yeah. it was really, an exciting really. time for the Premier League, mm. but that final was 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 incredible, and that squad as well. I could probably name every player off by heart, and I'm not even, as I said, a Man United fan. Um, do you think that you were talking at the beginning a little bit about how some people give you a little bit of stick of saying, "Oh, yeah, glory, glory, supporter" or whatever? And I think that a lot of it comes from kind of two generations. Maybe the memory of the Busby Babes at the time, but also I think my generation, who, as I yeah. said, my earliest memories are, are only of the Premier League. You look at Leeds, Leeds winning it just before it became the Premier yeah. League, and you know Man United were very close that season, and and then um, and then. Uh, then Blackburn winning it. And again, Man United were really close that season. So there were several opportunities for them to win the Premier League and or the, or the old First Division just leading up to that. And, of course, the great movement at that point was was the buying of Cantona, which is one of the great coups, really. You think about it, Leeds United won the final season of the First Division with Cantona in the side. And, uh, and I th- the story goes... Now, this may not be true, but I'm going to say that this is what I've heard. The story goes that, that Cantona was, uh, would have dalliances with, with other women, uh, sometimes <laughs> with the wives of players. And he was not seen by, where is it, Wilkinson? That was his name? Who was the manager of Leeds? It, uh, it was uh, Harold Wilkinson, I believe, yes. Yeah. He saw him as a disruptive element. Uh, and it's typical that Ferguson would not be frightened by that, which would go, well, I'll make him not disruptive. You know, if, he, if you can't control him, that's that's your problem. I, I think he's a brilliant footballer. And they bought him for a million quid, and that was a bargain because he was a linchpin in the, the, the side winning the, the the title, I thought. They all put it down to Chapman being a brilliant striker. But um, I do remember uh, being at Manchester United that season afterwards, when the first season that Cantona played, and the crowd, uh, I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Of course you can. Knock okay. yourself out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people know this story, but I, I, they, if they don't, it's a glorious story that the crowd really almost destroyed Chapman's career. It was Mark Chapman, Lee Chapman. 
Lee Chapman, I'm thinking of the football. Lee Chapman, the, the striker, Leeds yeah. Lee striker. Yeah, Lee Chapman. Uh, he he was a great striker, but he came to Man United every time he got the ball. In fact, for about half an hour, non-stop, the crowd kept singing, he's French, he's Flash, he's fucking Leslie Ash, la, 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 la. <laughs> you could see him getting more and more furious at it. And, of course, it completely messed up his game. And he never really recovered from that, I don't think. He never really came back as a top striker. But he looked like he was going to be the England striker. Never quite made it. But, um, you know, he probably needed the passes of someone like like Cantona. And, that, you know, it was glorious to see that. And, I, you know, Cantona, uh, you, if you're ever going to fall in love with someone, it's going to be... It's going to be Cantona, isn't it? You know, oh, definitely. I've had, I've, I have had a couple of experiences with with Eric Cantona. One was that um, I went to see a football match. Angus took me to see a, the final match of the season, and we played Chelsea and we drew. And as a result, we finished third, and Chelsea finished second, which meant that we would have to play an extra game in Europe that following season. They <laughs> thought that was brilliant. They'd get an extra trip. Uh, which is, you know, and it sort of in a way sums up what they think of the football, whereas the fans were going, oh, no, Chelsea have finished above us, you know. And then the players go in and then they come back out again. All the fans stay. And, of course, the final match of the season, they come back out, they parade around the ground and you applaud them. But by the time they came back out to walk around the ground, the director's box was, well, virtually empty. I was in a row on my own. They'd all gone inside for drinks. And they didn't come out and applaud the team. Uh, and I stood. I stayed there, applauded them round. Finally, they went off, and uh, and then somebody patted me on the shoulder and said, "Well done." And I turned around, and it was Eric Cantona. Oh wow! Now you say you had a story. That is a real story. That's it is a real. That, story. that is very much like a scene you'd seen. Uh, I assume you've seen the movie uh, Finding yeah. Eric. Ah, exactly. It's the movie Finding that, Eric, isn't it? <laughs> I, I spoke to somebody the other day who was in that film uh, for my podcast and they told me the story of the improvising scenes with with Eric Cantona when they first he first got the job to sort of get the tone of the thing and they were sitting around having a, a cup of tea in a, in a sort of front parlour in a Manchester building and uh, there was a big pause and then uh, Eric Cantona said uh, would you like a Jemmy Dodger? <laughs> and he said it was, it was just about the funniest improvised line he's ever heard. <laughs> they, they couldn't keep the keep their act together. They all started laughing. Brilliant from his voice. And, and I, as well. I was also I was also at Crystal Palace uh, the night that Eric Cantona jumped into the crowd. Were you? Mm. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that must I, have been. I witnessed it. Sorry, because obviously it came out afterwards what had happened, and mm-hmm. I think actually in many ways, the attitude to what his reaction has changed over the years. Um, what was the reaction that night? Did, were people aware of really what had happened? Well, of course, it was shock, I think. You know, you, you're not really watching that, you know, that side of it. He'd been sent off, I think. Hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He'd been sent off and he was walking down the line. Of course, you don't watch people walk all the no. way down. You, you go back, the game goes on, you go back to the game. And I watch, and what attracted my attention was somebody threw a cup of tea at him. Oh, I, I was sitting here. Hmm. It's a football pitch, and it was just there, really, just in front of me, about six rows in front of me. So I'm almost in those pictures. You know, the pictures where people go <gasps> as he jumps hmm. in. You see the whole crowd just like the producers, all with their mouths. Oh, like so that. you were very close to the incident. I was very close, yeah. Oh. And I was sitting next to Chris Evans. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 and uh, somebody threw a cup of tea, and I said, "Chris, somebody threw a cup of t- 
Jesus Christ. And he saw him jump into the crowd. The thing that they don't talk about, because the cameras were watching the game, so they sort of almost missed it. I think one mm. camera got it. And I don't think there were any cameras on the other side of the pitch no. facing this way. There were people taking photographs. But I know I've, for a fact that several members of the Man United team piled into the crowd. Mm. I mean, came over and got into the crowd. And I saw um, Dennis Irwin thump someone. Definitely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Definitely. You know, I... Nobody was, it was never mentioned, never happened. The annoying thing is I was there and because I was with, I was with Chris Evans, we were going to, we were sort of going to go back to, for drinks afterwards and they were going to have dinner. The Man United team were going to have dinner at Crystal Palace before they got on the coach and went back and we were going to have dinner with them. So I was incredibly excited. All I could think about was that I was going to sit down and have dinner with the Man United football team. And, uh, and then of course, the game finished and they were all just piled on the bus and driven off. Oh, and bet, didn't yeah. Following that. I mean, imagine yeah. bit straight after being sat next to Cantona. Yeah, just extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary. I've had, I mean, I, those moments really stick with you. That thing, when you idolize a team, mm. I once sat in the director's box again at the behest of Angus, very generous with his, his tickets. I'm glad to say uh, a very lovely man, and he'd invited me up, and I sat there, and I found myself sitting down, and, and somebody shuffled across and went into the seat next to me, and it was Brian Robson. And I sat there, and he was, you know, we both, because you're in the direct spot, you have to be quite well behaved. And and I did say to him at one point, God, you really want to shout, don't you? And he went, fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was great. And then at the interval, we were sort of sitting there, and uh, I went, you're right? And he went, yeah, yeah. He said, I, I used to play for this team, you know? And I went, I know. <laughs> I, I bloody, of course I know. You're Brian Robson. <laughs> Captain Marvel. It's ridiculous. I mean, the idea that it's a sweet thing, I think, mm. that he would think that his fame would have gone, that, you know, that people oh, would bless him. But even particularly people my age, you'd think, you know, well, he's going to know, the old bloke will know. You know Could it have been it, that indeed. you're in a corporate area and sometimes, as we've seen, sometimes corporate areas are full of people who aren't. I, I was Maybe. Because uh, I got a corporate um, box once at uh, the Emirates. It was a strange one. It was the first time I'd really gone to like the, the kind of the best seats you can get. And I was yeah, sat yeah. on a row. I remember I was sat next to James O'Brien and Nick Ferrari from uh, LBC. But there was quite a lot of people there that day including mm. some of the people I with who would, had no interest in football whatsoever. To me, it was a great, it was no. a Champions League night against Brissa Dortmund back when Klopp was the manager of Dortmund. So to me and my, there was, I think four of us went from our work and two of us were there thinking, what a night of football. And we, yeah, we sat fantastic. there and there were kind of outdoor seats and you could go inside as well, stay inside, drinks, mm. food, whatever. And I would say that in the corporate boxes, only a third of those seats were actually full for the, for the game. It's terrible, isn't it? It's, it's, I mean, I, I, I have had the same experience watching Man United at uh, Norwich. We got, because uh, I was, again, you know, not for me. I was just happened to be with sort of, sort of quite, well, I was with Richard Wilson, who was a Manchester United fan. And uh, and <laughs> when, when Norwich scored, he actually did go, I don't believe it. <laughs> and we all went, oh, Richard. <laughs> I've never watched that Father Ted episode again now with him because no, no. I'll go, hang on, if he did it. <laughs> he did it. He just does it naturally. Very I've funny. got to say, two of those things you've mentioned already are possibly the most 90s things I can imagine. Watching mm. Eric Cantona kung fu kick in the middle of the 90s with Chris yeah. Evans sat next to you and Victor Meldrew 
uh, explaining I don't week. believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and we were in we were in um, Delia Smith's box, so we had we, we had uh, we had catering and everything. It was all lovely. Nice, but uh, even still, it doesn't stop you going. You know, hating losing. How, how many other times then have you come across? Because uh, because I was going to say you've you've worked with so many different acts in from the comedy world and i was yeah. going to ask you've already given me some great names but um sports, any other stories people. with uh with with manchester united in particular yeah yeah I, I i i was standing in the foyer of the bbc i just finished uh recording a comedy program for the bbc i think it may have been the reggie perrin i was i've been reggie perrin and um i was standing at the thing to, handing my dressing room key in hmm. and a little old man uh, as it seemed at the time, handed his key in next to me, and he said, "Sorry, love, do you, do you know where the um, do you know where the main car park is? Because I've only I've, I, I normally I'd park in the in the horseshoe, you know, but uh, there wasn't any space tonight, so I, uh, we parked in the main. I don't know where it is. Do you know where it is? And uh, and I turned, and it was uh, Bobby Charlton. Oh, amazing! I know where it is, Bobby. And he went, "Do you, son? Oh, great! You wouldn't mind pointing me." In. I said, "I'll take you. I'll take you." He went, oh, that's very kind of you. Okay. All right, love, night, night. And we walked out. And he'd been doing, uh, there was a time, of course, when he used to do commentary on sort of European matches and things. Mm. And I think, I think it had been the European Cup final, actually. I think it was the Marseille one, the, the one before they got caught for fiddling everything. <laughs> and, but um, yeah, I think that's what it was. Anyway, we uh, I, I walked across with him and I took him the long route, obviously, because I just, the idea of walking around with Bobby and he said to me, my, 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 my daughter works here. And I went, right. She was a weather girl at the time. Mm. Bobby Charlton's daughter was a weather girl at BBC. And, uh, and I went, yeah. And I thought, oh, what an extraordinary thing. This is a man who's won the world cup. Yeah. He's won the world cup, the European cup, the FA cup, everything. It was probably the most famous English footballer ever. Amazing, and he, I, and he and what does he tell me? His daughter works there. <laughs> Almost like that's his claim to fame. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah, my daughter, my daughter works here. You know, I've got um, she? wow, I've got his autograph actually. Um, really? My auntie, bless her, she again for a corporate. Someone not interested in football went to a corporate at Euro '96, and um, she came back knowing I was a football fan, and said, "Oh, I got you some autographs." And she goes, "But I don't think they're very good players because they weren't playing on the day." <laughs> okay so she assumed they were still england players but i got back and it is just this kind of uh it's a program football program england yeah. versus uh, the netherlands and it is just covered with signatures from all sorts of england's history alan ball nobby styles um you know bobby charlton steve Coppel, wow. just all these guys and i just couldn't believe it and my dad who was obviously and the thing is at the time i was about seven so i was kind of like yeah, oh, yeah. which one's alan shearer <laughs> I, my dad sort of give that to me. That's going got, away in the loft for somewhere a somewhere very time. safe. Yeah, um, I will I say uh, you're, you're the you're the second guest we've had on who is a, a Man United fan. Our first guest, uh, Fitz, worked with, uh, and he'd had a few stories of meeting a few players, and one of yeah. them was David May, and uh, right. an- another a comedian I know had done a corporate with, with David May, mm. and I knew he was going to be doing this, and because we were talking about the '99. Um, Champions League final. I, I wanted to share this with you because I love this. I, I'd always wanted to know why David May jumped up. If you look at every photo, David May jumps on top of all of them, puts his fist in the air for an iconic photo. <laughs> and I said, please ask him what was going through his head then. And it's the best answer I loved. He basically said, David May said, look, 
Never got a cap for England. My days at Manchester United were gone and I didn't really play in this whole campaign. The Premier League, FA Cup, whatever, you know, I didn't play. He said, but I knew what an iconic moment this was. So he said, when the, the second that the cup goes up, the second all the confetti goes in the air, all the fists are in the air, he knew everyone would be clicking their photos. So he, who was obviously quite fairly at the back, leapt on top of Shemichael. So he <laughs> knew he in every iconic photo. And it's true. When you go back through it's these true. photos, if you if you Google image, Champions League final, 99, cup lift or whatever, you've got Shemichael, Beckham, Neville, Giggs, Dwight York, Cole. But right at the top, you've got a lot of people going, oh, there's Beckham. Who's that guy on top? Is that <laughs> it's a, a ginger bloke. And it's, it's a ginger bloke. <laughs> and David May has cemented, you know, his royalties forever <laughs> with that. And I just thought that was absolutely fantastic. It's a brilliant thing to do. Very good idea. There were, I'm sure there were, who is, who does that? There is a player that does that all the time. It may be, it, maybe Ronaldo actually. <laughs> when anybody gets a, you know, he will he will always sort of salute the crowd, always look out, as mm. it were, so that you, you're not in a huddle. You're yeah. the one that's, you know, it's like, you know, claiming the moment. It's all very he's not, he's not He's it? not shy at all. He's, he's very, very savvy. Very savvy. I've never met him. That would be fantastic. But oh, uh, no, I have. I mean, I worked at Granada Television for a long time. We did a television series, me and a fellow called Paul Bradley. We wrote a series called Bradley, which was a children's television series. Uh, and uh, it was very good fun. Paul Bradley at the time was quite slim. Well, he's very large now. He was a bloke who's in uh, was in Holby City for years, uh, playing the old heart surgeon. Anyway, he's um, he's a lovely man, but we needed someone to stand in for him. We wrote in this thing that as he crosses the school playground, the football comes towards him. He juggles it up, balances it on his head, nips it over his back, turns it like that, and volleys it into the top corner of the goal. We wrote that down. Right. We can, you know, we can we can make that look. And they said, "Oh God, it's going to take about twenty shots to make this look real. Can we not get someone who can do it?" And then somebody said, "Well, we could get a footballer." And they said, "So they looked through somebody who knew nothing about football, looked through a magazine of footballers, and went, well, he looks a bit like Paul.' And it was somebody with, you know, Paul had sort of tight, dark, curly hair, quite long, that length. And it was Mark Hughes. And they said, "Yeah, he looks like him." Well, let's get him. And I went, well, Mark, you will get Mark Hughes. <laughs> but of course, in those days, you know, the amount of money you earned was not the same. So they were able to say, you know, we'll give you 250 quid, come along for a morning, you have to do his juggle the ball and kick it in the in the net and that'll be it. You can yeah. go again. And he went, yeah, sure, mate. And so Mark Hughes turned up and he, he did it in one take. <laughs> <laughs> So who are your sort of earliest memories then? So you said you were you got into to football and, and supported Manchester United as a, as a child. Uh, we bought a television. We bought a television to watch the 1968 uh, European Cup final. Oh, and wow. I was allowed to stay up late because it went into extra time. Mm. Uh, and so we watched it. Uh, and, and to this day, I didn't, I mean, until quite recently, I didn't know Man United played in blue. Uh, <laughs> it was a, I saw a colour picture of it and I went, that's what's going Oh God! And they were the away team. Of so course. They, you know, even though it was at Wembley, they were they. You draw lots, and they were the away team, and they wore blue. Uh, you know, so yeah. Uh, and I remember watching that game, and 
I just, it's, again, it was an exciting game because it was sort of 1-1 and went to extra time. And then we scored lots of goals and we were brilliant. Best was fantastic. And Kidd was, you know. Brian Kidd, yeah, of just, course. Just great. And so, you know, then you've just fallen up. But really, for me, I suppose it's school period. You know, it's sort of, it's 70s, really. So it's Sammy McElroy and uh, uh, Lou Macari and those sort of things, you know, Gordon Hill and, yeah, that sort of crowd. Steve Koppel back then? Steve Koppel was... I need any excuse to get a Reading man in. I'm, I'm saving I'm saving Steve Koppel because I know you're going to ask me what my five-a-side team is. Oh, and I am, yes. Oh, good answer. And, you know, Steve Koppel's in there. Oh, he's excellent. in there, of course he's in there. You know, but um, but I once, I also, uh, I once played in a, a a celebrity football match. They must have been shorter celebrities, but I played a celebrity football match and I played on, I played in a team with Hugh Grant and he'd just been in four weddings and a funeral. So oh. the place the place was rammed with people desperate to get his autograph, particularly hordes of young girls all screaming every time he got the ball. And there were some professional or ex-professional footballers who agreed to do this and to help raise money. And uh, and several of them, uh, one was McQueen. Yeah, big, a big defender. He was playing. And Martin Buchan, who oh. had just just finished being Man United captain and the captain of Scotland, he played as well. And they were both still, at, you know, incredibly fit. And I was, you know, I was quite young. And I nutmegged Martin Buchan. No. I know. I nutmegged him. I was going down the wing and he came to us and I pushed it through his legs and went round him. And uh, and I thought, whoa, that's something to tell you, Craig. <laughs> Brilliant. So then they thought, Mike, Mike's got this bloke. He's, he's lost his speed. He's got, you know, <laughs> you can go past him anytime. So they kept feeding out to me on the left wing. Uh, and and ball came again, and I was full of confidence. And I, I came to him again, and I didn't, I won't nutmeg him. I pushed it past him and went to go, and he just stuck his leg out <laughs> and gave me the most painful, I, I had to stop. He's a hard he came, man. He was a, I would never have wanted to nutmeg him because you must know yeah. straight after that, your, I, your, I stupid. your legs days were numbered. <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought, no, it's a charity thing. He won't mind. No, no, he, he just wouldn't have it. He completely dead legged me. He just went with the knee and I, I couldn't walk. It was like running into a brick wall. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> it's a funny old game. I ask all my guests for this series for a five-a-side team, but it must be not necessarily a five-a-side team full of your your Rooney's no. and your Cristiano Ronaldo's. Maybe five players that mean something to you, um, and maybe some that would be considered an unsung hero that the younger uh, or any Man United fan or, or maybe casual football fan might not always be completely aware of. Well, okay, well, I mean, it's difficult because. Because there are so many famous Manchester. I mean, you know, it's you don't forget many Man United players. Although there have been some great ones through the years that you sort of forget were were there. There was a shirt they released a few years back, Man United, and it had I don't know what it was celebrating. It was a blue shirt, but I think I bought a copy. It had the names of all the Manchester United players through you know just tiny little writing all over it. It was covered in all the names of all the players who who played for Man United, I think sort of about 200 of them. Uh, and there were, you go, oh, God, I forgot he played for Man United. Frank Stapleton, you see, you, you, I think of him as an Arsenal player. 
you forget how Eddie was in a great Manchester United team. You know, it was a he was a really really good player. There are players I think that if I was going to pick a five, it's, picking five is almost impossible. Yeah, I can pick sort of you know, but there are players I think that never quite. I mean, were brilliant for Man United, but didn't achieve what they should have done. You know, Yap Stam, I would put down as as being the player that was sold far too early. Yap Stam, I think, would would be my defender. Got yeah, that, would be, that would be the man at the back. But a goalkeeper, you see, I always like Gary Bailey. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think he's an unsung hero for Man United. He played in the t- at the time when Man United were not winning everything. You know, no. they were struggling and. You know, so yeah, I don't know. But, you know, him and Bartes, I, I really liked. I really liked Bartes, and you you sort of forget that they were there. You forget that they were the players. Was he overhyped? Do you think Bartes a little bit overhyped? What with because he came I, off the I back of know. that I, French. He team. was a great shot stopper. He was a great shot stopper. You know, I'm not sure he was great at everything else. Particularly, he wasn't that good with distribution, what have you. But uh, but he, he was one of those a, a bit, you know. Yeah, to come out and play sweeper quite a bit and be quite. Yeah, there dangerous. are players like there are players like that. There are players who are who are just massive, and you have complete confidence they're going to control the the goal. And there are ones who seem slighter, you know, but they're incredibly agile. That's why I think of him as that. So yeah, I'm not. You know, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I don't know how far to go back, really. I mean, I, I, I tell you my controversial choice. This is go for it. Yeah, yeah. My controversial choice would as striker. Because uh, if I was going to put somebody up front in a in five, yeah, particularly in a five-a-side game, because of, because of uh, being small and powerful, and you know, low centre of gravity, all those sort of things, but also absolutely bloody lethal, would be Tevez. Okay, yeah, Carlos Tevez. Which you know, for all Man United players, sort of loathe him because he just went, oh, take the money and move over, and then you know, there was a famous poster yeah of, of him there and you think oh no but i really liked tevez i thought he was you know it was him i, I yeah i can't i can't in mean, really that 2008 think. season 2007 2008 season which sometimes yeah. get overshadowed especially because it's under the ferguson era sometimes get, gets overshadowed by 99 but that was a, yeah. a very very good squad i mean what 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 a strike that was a strike force to have in any side at that time to have ronaldo wayne rooney and tevez mm coming at you. I mean, that was just bloody terrifying. And they were brilliant, all three of them. And they, they all had different strengths as well, I thought, you know, so it played amazingly well together. They were a great side. So yeah, I would, that's who I'd choose as my striker, my, my, my unsung striker. So we've got Tevez, we've got Yapstam, uh, possibly yeah. Bailey and possibly Bartes. Bartes, yeah. yeah going to yeah. go Bartes. No, no, I'm going, let's have Gary Bailey because we all we'll go, go back. Gareth Bailey. Yeah, there, there we, we go. go. Gary Bailey. So we've got um, two more. Yeah, so I want a midfielder. So I, you know, I mean, I would probably choose Martin Bucken, but you know, because he was such a mainstay, but in a way, a name that's sort of forgotten. We we remember him a bit, but you know, I don't mind go for Sammy McEl- McElroy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. So I've got that one side, and I've got the other side would be Dennis Irwin, who I always thought was oh, the, Dennis Irwin. You know, would be the the the, the safest player that you you could have at the back in any anything i mean i rate him above neville even mm. he kind of uh, used to sometimes play that sort of winger role that you have now yeah yeah there's a lot of attacking 
at the time when people didn't do it. That's why he'd be great in a five-a-side team. He was very mobile and got forward a lot, you know, but but absolutely solid as a rock. You know, he wasn't just like, you know, uh, Gary Pallister and and those, mm. you know, that sort of, the, the just defended. We had a lot of players like that. And, uh, you know, and that, the whole role of the defender has changed now, hasn't it? Yeah. And I oh, think he was, an ex- he was an example of that happening quite early. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think that whole sort of wing-back system, Neville and Irwin used to do that. They were quite lethal doing yeah. that coming forward. You know, Definitely. Gary Neville was a great crosser of the ball. People f- forget that, you know, no, because you think of really that he would come down and he would then play it to Beckham. Mm. But, but they often overlapped. So, you know, Beckham would would get it on the halfway line and Neville, Gary Neville would go past him and then he'd be So it was left to Neville to cross. I remember him doing it before Beckham as well, because you got, and for England, I remember he put in yeah, that yeah. brilliant cross to Alan Shearer um, in, uh, I think it was against Netherlands. He was it, that wonderful cross Absolutely. that came, you know, went in there. So that's that's yeah. your um, final five then. So we've got Fabian Barthez in goal. We've got yeah. Sam. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got Dennis Irwin. Yeah. Uh, we've got Sammy McElroy. Sammy McElroy in the midfield. Yeah. And we've got Tevez. And, and Tevez. Wonderful. Yeah. There we go. And I like, I like that a Reading manager still got in there, by the way, under Yap <laughs> So uh, I'm very, very happy about that. Um Right. Well, uh, we didn't put in the we didn't put in the other Reading player, which is a no, shame. No, we didn't. We'll put we'll put Koppel on the bench. It's fine. Couple, couple Gordon Hill. You see, I mean, they're, they're they're all there on the bench. You've got the hardest team in a way to get a kind of niche. Uh, <laughs> Mark Oliver struggled a bit with Liverpool, um, but yeah, yeah I, I absolutely uh, can understand. Those things. That. I don't know how football changes. I remember coming back from uh, doing a job in Liverpool uh, on a Saturday. You know, we had been working there during the week, and then I got the train back Saturday morning and uh, walked through the train and went through a carriage which had the Liverpool football team in it. So yeah. Emily Hughes and that crowd. Uh, they were great, you know. Yeah. And they were all incredibly well known and they were winning everything at the time. They were the top team in the world, really, I think. And it wasn't an exclusive carriage. You could just mm. walk through. Oh, I suppose it was different oh, then, wasn't it? I sat down, sat down with them. Oh, really? Did you so, chat away yeah. to some of them? I chatted to them in the news, yeah. Oh, anyway, wait, who are you playing today? Oh, hello, mate. Yeah, great. Yeah. And I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I really want to talk about uh, your career because it's um, it's brilliant. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the shows you've been in, we we mentioned them at the beginning. Incredible. Um, and uh, I was going to say as well, this is the second time we've ever met. We first met in, we worked it out, I think, that it was January 2008. And uh, I was sat with... Cambridge the, Arts Theatre. Cambridge Arts Theatre, that's it. And we had a friend who worked there and he managed to say, look, we, we've got a bit of a low turnout for for the um the, the daytime pants the matinee show do you fancy come out i'll get some free tickets so i think about 20 of us went down from our halls and all mates and we went down there um i will say now in case anyone's listening i wasn't at cambridge university before you start i was at anglia ruskin uh which is a bit like oxford brooks but 40 places below if we if we were uh, if we were uh, you know if you think of it as like the table of universities and football team we're um you know, we're late in Orient, something like that. We might even be non-league. But anyway, uh, we were sat there and I and I saw you behind me 
and you were with a, a small group of actors who I kind of recognised as well. It was just after Christmas, and that Christmas, my mum and dad had bought me the full box set of Only Fools and Horses. And it uh. just so happened that that very morning, I had watched the episode where they, they go on holiday and Rodney has entered into a competition where he for an art competition. It turns out that it was for an under 15, so he has to pretend to be 14 mm. all episode. And he joins the Groovy Gang, which, of course, yeah. yourself is the, <laughs> is the yeah, leader of. Running and, the Groovy Gang. Alan, and uh, I turned around to you Alan and said... Alan Perkins, I think. That's it. And I turned to you and I said, excuse me, I mean, a friend, I, I kind of recognise you. And you, I think you mentioned, well, you know, I've done this and done that. And I suddenly went, Groovy Gang, Fools and Horses. <laughs> and you you sort of went, yep. Yep. Yep, that's that, it. That, yeah. Thank you. Cheers. And uh, you were very well, polite about is, it. Well, the extraordinary thing is that that's happened all my life. Still to this day, it goes on, you know. I mean, uh, people will come up to me in pubs and go, excuse me, mate, you, in the, you, you run the Groovy Gang? And I go, no, not anymore. I retired. And it, it, crazy. It, it's sort of, you know, I mean, I was in my 30s and now I'm in my 60s. So it's ridiculous. I don't look anything like I did. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such an iconic thing because it's got one of my favourite lines in it ever, which is when you're kind of explaining the concept to the Groovy Gang, thinking that Rodney doesn't quite get it. And mm. you've got two bits that absolutely make me laugh is that Del Boy turns to Rodney and says, don't worry, he'll get the hang of it groovy groovy does this kind of mimics it and there's also just the, the one of my favorite lines of rodney ever is a very there's nothing funnier for me when nicholas lindhurst is kind of had an he's, he's kind of annoyed at dell but he's not yeah. allowed to be open about it so he sort of says something under his tongue to del boy so sort of, you know through his teeth and i just love the way he turns and goes i'm not joining a sodding groovy gang it's just <laughs> one of my favorite lines <laughs> It is. It is a brilliant episode. I mean, it's a it's a genius piece of writing, uh, no doubt about it. When we first read through it, um, I remember sitting around the table and reading through this script, and just everybody roaring with laughter, uh, and then also performing it to the camera crew. So you have about three days of rehearsal. That's all when you rehearse it in the rehearse, you know, rehearsal studios in North Acton, where everything was rehearsed, mm. and uh, we. So we rehearsed it there, then we, we did it to the camera crew to show them so they can work out where they're going to light it. Now, normally in those situations, the crew are very, they're there to do a job. They're there to look at it and work out what, what camera angles could I do? Where do I need to put my camera for that? How do I boom mic that? You know, if he's going to move there, is that difficult? People are there looking at the lighting and what they'll need on the set. So they're all there to do a job. And I've never been at a camera run through where, where the crew laughed so much. But they laughed at almost every line because it was so such a brilliant script. It's got my favourite comedy line in it from any of the Only Fools and Horses mm. episodes, which is where he's talking to to Dell in the pub before they go to Spain. And Rodney's saying, you know, well, if Cassandra's coming, I thought, you know, I ought to take precautions in this day and age. And he says, well, yeah, it's very mature of you, boy, son. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He said, so I went to the mini-mart. He said, but, you know... I'd buy loads of different things because you know, I, I didn't know how to, because there's a stigma attached. And Del Boy says, no, that's a bit of silver paper. You throw that away. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it's just that the idea of seeing the, the possibility of the phrase a stigma attached is just 
I mean, it's genius. It's a genius. He's a genius writer. Yeah. And I don't want to, obviously, you know, as I, you've done so much in your career and I don't want to kind of stick on one thing, but I did listen to your um, fantastic interview. We'll talk a bit about your podcast in a minute as well with um, David Jason. Oh yeah. Lovely. It it just Mm. sounded like the experience of just being on that one, one episode of that show sets you up for a lifetime of so much that was that was the joy of that program i think and probably the reason it was so successful everybody who was involved in it felt as if they were they'd been in all of it Mm. you know i did one episode and yet i was always greeted thereafter by people from the show as a member of the cast brilliant Uh, you know so i mean if ever I, i did other things with david over the years we did radio stuff together and we did some more filming and on different things and he always you know, at parties, I'd turn up and he'd go, hey, all right, groovy. And <laughs> and then we'd spend the evening together because we were mates. Brilliant. Uh, because we'd done this thing together. And I think it's a, it's a, it was a real sort of, um, it's a, you feel terribly honoured by it all. But, uh, but I have to agree, you know, David, and David and I have always got on, we, we right from the start, I think he recognised in me somebody who, who knew what I was looking at. Do you know what I mean? That he recognized somebody who understood the craft of comedy, particularly not just acting, but the craft of, of make of selling people the dummy of a joke of yes. making people not notice it's going to come and then making it funny. And that's a very varied thing. Something that takes lots of practice mm. and, and some people have it sort of instinctively and, and then you can, you can, hone it and craft it. As David says on my podcast, you know, he spent years and years and years practicing the art of falling over <laughs> and how to fall over and how to make an audience laugh. Mm. And, you know, years and years of experiment, experiments with it, you know, so that he would, why didn't I get this big a laugh as it did last night? What did I do differently? He would look at it again and again and constantly analyzing it so that by the time he mastered it, he knew exactly what he was doing yeah. and it looks incredibly casual but he knows every moment of it. He's got it already planned out in his head. And then he's able to make it look as if he's made it up. And that's that's incredible skill. And he does talk about how he goes through that process. And I think he's done it on other things, but uh, I was very proud that he, he took the care on my podcast to really talk it, about it in great detail because he knew that, I, that it's something that I've, I've also studied and that I understand what he's talking about when he, you know, just, just those little moments. So that, you know, as you're saying, so the thing of not looking away, never looking where you're going to fall, that you're talking to someone, if you ever look back at it and watch it, he says, you know, he says, you know, take it, play play easy, play easy, you know, trig, and he just stands and he just falls. And he stays very straight. His head doesn't go. His eyes stay exactly where he's looking where they were. His glass doesn't move, nothing. He goes like a board straight down out out of shot. And and it's the fact that he doesn't sort of go and then think, oh shit, I've, there's nothing there. I thought, which you wouldn't instinctively, naturally, if you were doing that, if you fell like that naturally, none of the things that he did would happen. Mm. Oh, and yet he'd worked out that audiences laugh more if you do what he did, and that's mm. that's years and years and years of of uh, of trying things out in front of an audience and being determined enough to make something more funny. Mm. or funny you know and that's funny can i make it funnier you know so you can be getting a really big laugh in something and yet you're still looking for something more you're still trying every night to get an audience to laugh more 
And that's that's the joy. People say, you know, God, how can you do a play for six months, the same play every night? It's not the same play to me. Yeah. Not never the same play. I go out there every time and every every moment. I know every moment of it I, in great detail. I know exactly what every moment is, and and I think I won't do that. No, I'll do this. I, I, you know, you're making decisions all the time, and sometimes you're just going, okay, just do something and see what happens. It's a really interesting process to go through. It was. And I find it endlessly fascinating. You know? Oh, definitely, and I I really loved your interview with him because it did go into those finer details. Whenever I've said, and I, he hasn't done many interviews, David Jason. It's quite a private. He's never guy. done a podcast. I was going to say, I, I heard. Um, that this was like his his only one. So mm. I was really interested in, and I love the questions because normally when he's on television, he gets the generic questions for generic audience, which is yeah. where did the character of Del Boy come from? Yeah. Are you and Rod, what do you, do you and Rodney get on in real life, such and such? But I love yeah. that you went into the small details and, and I who do, you know, I'm in the very early stages of doing stand up. I mm-hmm. miss so much more, more than I miss the live gigs in some cases. I miss just chatting to other comedians about yeah. different bits and bobs. I love dissecting it all afterwards. And we'll sort of go off after we've done our, even if we do like a, a 10 minute rubbish open mic night somewhere in the middle of London, we'll be mm-hmm. on the way home going. So this bit here, when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned this, if you've got an older audience, maybe you should go this route. If you've got a younger audience, you can go this route. And it's yeah, yeah, you're yeah. saying, how do you do the, because some people have said to me, do you do the same set and i go well i have a i have a set i have a 10 minutes i have a 15 minutes sure and they go do you not get bored doing that over and over again and it's like well no because every time you do it you learn something from it yeah you're honing it yeah maybe this lead up could be instead of being a sentence could be three words and and it kind of you know there's so much you can do and what i loved is in your podcast you really went in on one moment that i've noticed before which is something he did in a play and something he also did in only fools and horses which is Mm. when he's marching with a cornflakes box yeah yeah and he does yeah. the left, right, left, right. And, he, and it's nicely done in Falls and Horses because he's doing it kind of to mock uh, Uncle Albert as an Uncle old military Albert, yeah. guy and he's marching yeah. with it. And I sort of thought, that's written. And as I'm older now, and I, I mean, I've w- watched Falls and Horses since I was about four years old, but now I watch it, I look at all the things that David Jason does and you mm-hmm. covered them a lot in there. And it's like little things like, um, and I noticed it for the first time the other day when he just steals a, a, a Chinese, from a Chinese mill that Rodney's eating. He just takes... Um, like a, a spare rib at one point and mucks around with it and it's too greasy and he's kind of doing yeah, all this yeah. and and I love that you went into details of that in your in your podcast and he yeah so I mean that, that, that fantastic ability to be able to eat and act hmm. it's not many have not many have got it you know it's a it's a it's a you wouldn't think it would be difficult, yeah. but it's incredibly difficult to look relaxed and eating and talking while you're eating and knowing how much to bite but at the same time look as if you're eating normally. But not suddenly filling your mouth up with stuff. It's it, it's all incredibly detailed mm. and well worked out. He is the great uh, planner, really, the great organizer. And I think you know, I mean, all the comics, all the great comics I've worked with. Lee Evans was the one that that uh, really was completely loose. Just you know, just I've never known anything like it. I've never. Really? You know, I spent a whole week at rehearsal saying, "So, what did we do in that bit?" He said, "Oh, you know, just go with me, Mike. Go with me." And it was it was an extraordinarily complicated scene. I, I was playing a doctor, and I was supposed to be examining him. And I said, "Well, lie down on the um, lie down on the couch." And then the uh, phone rings. I said, oh, "Excuse me a moment." And I go away, and he starts playing with the the buttons on the on the on the bed, and it makes it go up at one end, and then up at the other end, and then the middle comes up, and you know, and then he presses something, and both ends come up and sort of bang together, and he's trapped in the middle of it. And at that point, I come back in and say, oh, what, what, what are you doing? 
doing, for goodness sake, man? Give me the controls. And he says, no, hang on a minute, just give me. And, and that was as far as we ever got. <laughs> and then the rest of it, we improvised in front of the audience. And I just sort of followed him. And he, he was saying, well, get on, you get on top, push it open, push it open with your feet. So I, mean, I can't get up, hang on a minute. And, and don't step on that, you know. And it, we did sort of three or four, well, a long comedy routine. Wow. Which is completely improvised and Brilliant. pushing on it. And then it ends up with basically, he worked me and moved me about. And you could, I could feel him sort of pushing, thinking, okay, so you just go with it. Okay, right, you want me to go there? I'll go there. What are you going to do now? And then he'd have legs around me and arms around me. And it ended up with me inside the, the thing and him outside. And, he, and, uh, and I sort of knew that's where we were going, but the route that we got there was astonishing. He then says, um, thanks very much, Doctor. See ya. And <laughs> I go, what? what? And I'm left inside. That's the end of the scene. Really? Well, that's credit to you as an actor to be able because some of some would have probably lost it and gone, no, Carl, I, I don't know what this is, or I, I, I need to know this before I do it. But that's credit to you as an actor and well, no, no, I mean, it's, experience it's, to have been able to adapt to it. It was, it was unusual because almost everybody else I've worked with in those circumstances, particularly people who have got to the top, are, are very detailed. You know, David was very detailed. He rehearsed very carefully and would practice everything so that he knew exactly physically what he was going to be doing. I do remember him saying to me, actually giving me the timing on something mm. and just and just going, now you want to make sure it's three, make sure it's a beat of three. That'll take three, he said. And I knew what he meant, which was that you go, somebody says something and in your head you go, and one and two and three and no. <laughs> and that's, you, that's your timing. Mm. And it's very, you hear it in your head. You don't hear it, you know, but your your body senses that how long to hold something. Would you like a cup of tea? No, it, that's the three happening. But I mean, and Rowan Atkinson, I did Mr. Bean with him. We did, yeah, you did, yeah. I remember eating, that one well. Eating scene, and and he was. We spent, uh, I mean, uh, about four hours rehearsing that, and every move in it is organised and done so that you know we did them at exactly the same time. Didn't have to look at each other. Uh, it's it was incredibly detailed, and uh, that's why they're so good. I think because they put that sort of care into their work and that sort of detail into it, and it becomes uh, they become iconic moments as a result, rather than just you know. So Lee Evans was unusual, I think, in the sense that he was able to create these amazing things, you know, and and let it let the moment take him, as it were. You know? Brilliant. I, I should have just remembered there that you gave my sister's nightmare with that Mr. Bean scene in the dream sequence, <laughs> you know, with yeah. the the dodgy oysters. I've just remembered oh, yeah. that. Um, oh, but I mean, yeah. like you said there, you've, you've been in all these shows and they've all varied. I mean, if we take comedy just alone, I mean, you've done various dramas. I know you've done plays. You've done music as well. Musical comedy with the heebie-jeebies yeah. with your good friend, Angus Deaton, fellow Man United fan. But if yeah. we just take... Uh, TV comedy on its own you've kind of covered so many different genres as well I mean you take Mr Bean is almost a silent comedy um, mm -hmm. you've done traditional sitcom Fools and Horses yeah 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 very straightforward ones even yes. things like Outnumbered you you were there you were in the episode at the time where the kids were kids and they yeah. were kind of not really given lines so I was told and no 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 not get at into all an no. argument with Karen which must have been of course what's interesting about that is that there's that I would have been having that argument with her when she wasn't there. Uh, so when you look at Outnumbered, and I think if you know this about Outnumbered, it makes you admire it all the more. Mm. I hope it doesn't spoil it for people. But Definitely. whenever you see a shot of the child on their own or any of the children on their own and the adults are, you know, 
that's because that's the time that they're free. So you focus the camera on them and you get all their reactions, you get all the shots you need from them, and then they go back and go back and do schoolwork. Mm. Or, you know, they can only work for a certain amount of time, a couple, a couple of hours in a day. So you have to cover all their stuff. So whenever they're on set, the cameras are pointing at them. And you do all your stuff off camera. And then when they go away, Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins say, what did she say there? What's this? Look back at the tape. What did she? Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. And so you, she says this to you, Mike, and you react, okay? So at one point, I think in, in the improvised bit, they, they don't, all they say to them is, you know, you think he's a bit of a twit. So just, you know, don't take any notice of him. Don't do what he says and sort of take the mickey out of him a bit. And that's what they do. And it's brilliant what they, those kids did. You know, at one point she says, all right, Mr. Picky Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's improvised. That's not Fantastic. in the script. It's brilliant. And I, I, and then I, at the time, I remember her doing it and thinking, that's funny. And then, <laughs> and then of course, they, afterwards they say, you know, so somebody then says it to you from off camera and you go, well, Mr. What? So you're, all the things are done separately. And so you've got to remember that whenever you see a scene with, you know, with, with Hugh or Claire, talking to the kids and you cut from the kids on the sofa saying, well, I don't want to do that, mum. And you cut to just her or just mm. him or the two of them standing in the kitchen on their own talking to the kids. The kids are not there. They're talking to someone sitting on the floor with a script in their hand. Brilliant. Oh, uh, so it's it's a, it's amazing, really, that they got such such standards, you know. So, I mean, I'm very delighted, to, as you say, to have jumped around all those different things to have done. I mean, I, I've spent a long time desperately trying to persuade people to let me come into what I, I suppose would be called the the um, the new style of comedy. I mean, I'd done – I was in a thing called People Like Us, which not many people know. Yeah, People Like Us, yeah. It was a great, great series, and it was the early work of, uh, of John Morton, who does 2012 and W1A mm. and everything. So he was a brilliant, brilliant writer. And it was a, a just the most fantastic script. I mean, a, astonishingly good. And he constantly wanted us just to do it faster and faster and faster to make it re more real. You know, people do talk quickly and quicker than they normally do in sitcoms. You know, yeah. so in sitcoms, everything's a little bit slower. What do you mean? I didn't do that. Didn't you now? You know, it's <laughs> a bit, whereas people don't talk like that, you know. So when he wanted, he wanted it realistic and real and, uh, it was just a fabulous thing. So I was, and I think it's a forerunner of things like The Office and stuff like that, without a doubt in my mind. It's the first sort of where you are aware there's a camera there, you're acknowledging it. You know, it's a spoof documentary. So you you can look at the camera and, and, and a voice say, don't look at the camera. You, know, you go, well, oh, sorry, all right. Yeah. And then you carry on. It's um, It was really joyous to do. So, I mean, having done that, I thought, oh, I hope this opens up this new world of, comedy which i really loved all the new yeah. very subtle things that were coming through where in fact the drama of it the acting in it was more realistic than it was it was in any drama you know i mean the drama had become more and more like soap operas it had become more and more i thought overly dramatic mm. and the really really classy acting the astonishing acting was happening in comedy i thought I, that's what i felt at the time and then you know got, i got to do sort of nighty night with julia davis yeah I remember your death uh, scene in that one with uh, uh, Mark Gatiss. Yeah, we filmed that about six months after that we'd finished filming. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. With, uh, when Julia went back and sort of edited everything together, because she was just a, is a very uncontrolled, sort of seemingly uncontrolled way of working. She would come in and have ideas and scenes she'd written, and we'd do them, and then we tried to put them all together. 
And Mark Gatiss came in quite late into it. He wasn't in it originally. And then she decided she needed this character. So they mm. sort of filmed a lot of Mark Gatiss. And then we'd filmed a lot of it after, well after the with, we'd finished filming. So I went back again, had my hair cut the same. And we filmed all that in, we filmed all of those scenes, my death scenes. That was in um, in Steve Coogan's house. In, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, how about that? Um, so to use a football analogy you've because you've been there kind of sort of back in the days of like spitting image in the 80s and you still now you know i saw you not long ago appear in josh the sitcom so you're performing yeah. with with you know a modern crop of comedians I, i'm just about just about to do avenue five as well which uh, oh, brilliant. is a thing with with you Laurian and all that crowd you know so oh excellent there's some amando inucci and it's it's great you know so very brilliant good. i look forward to that um so would you explain would you say you're to use a football analogy you're a bit of a utility player you're a bit like maybe <laughs> someone like luke chadwick who can who's played at so many different oh, teams good old you can luke. play him anywhere you know yeah. that's kind of you know i'd be very happy with that i think i am i think i may well be you know i mean i, I am reliable you know, and they know I'm going to be able to do it. In fact, people say that about me, which I always take as a great compliment. Yeah. People say, well, you know, we know you can do it, Mike. You'll be all right. They don't <laughs> have to worry about me. You know, we give you that. Of course you can do it. You can go from playing, you know, and they, 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 people are happy to give me range as well. You know, you can play really angry, nasty person, or you can play really nice, friendly, smiley person, yeah. you know, uh, right the way through. So posh down to, down to, you know, working class, I can do them. I've covered a lot, and it's yeah. it's very nice that people sort of trust you too. I'm always terribly complimented by the fact through my career. You talk about uh, outnumbered. I've I've worked with Andy Hamilton on uh, lots and lots of things. Almost everything he's done through his career, I've played a part in, in some way or another. Very few things he's ever made that I've not been in mm. in some part or other. Were you in the um, I I the remember, radio remember, show Harry's Game? Oh, yeah, all of them, yeah. My best friend, did. it's his favourite show in the world, so it's he'll just, be thrilled. A, if you've never heard of it. If I've you've not never heard it, it yet, no. It's a, it's a, well, it's a lot of it. We did, yeah. we did it for 15 years, you know, so, I mean, it's a, it's a long-running series on the radio. But it was great. But I did remember saying to him, it's really lovely of you to give, because he, he used to ring me up and say, hello, Mike, uh, it's Andy. And I'd say, hi, oh, yeah, <laughs> Good impression. And he'd say, yeah, I've got, it's, um, I've got a part of it. Uh, he said, he's sort of, you know, He's a bit of an idiot. He's a posh bloke. Thinks he's brilliant. But, um, you know, I thought I thought of you. So, oh, thanks very much, Andy. It's very nice of you. A bit of an idiot. Posh bloke. Thinks he's brilliant. <laughs> but he's actually is a, a twit. Yeah, I don't know why I thought of you. Anyway, uh, you want to do it? And I go, yep, great. And, and he's done that endlessly. Right. You know? Yeah, you know, I mean, just wonderful parts I've played for him. And I did say to him, why? Why, why, do, you, why do you keep giving me these parts? And he said, because you 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 know the beats. That's what he said to me. You know oh. the beats. And I, I know what he means. I knew what he meant by that. And it's uh, it's a, in a way a sort of a shorthand that, that you know, comic actors would know. It's like I said, the rule of three or the, the, the beat of three. I know what the beat is. I know his beats as well, you know. So mm-hmm. when he writes something, he has a particular timing for it in his head. If he was to deliver, and I think I deliver the lines at the same rhythm that he wrote them. You know? Nice. So he likes, he sort of goes, I know you'll, you'll deliver what I wrote. Brilliant. You won't, you won't mess it up. And I, you know, and he's, and he, he said, there've been lots of times I talked to him on my podcast as well. And, and it was interesting to hear that because 
I think I may have mentioned that to him. Said I was always complimented by it, and he said, "Yeah, but I worked with really, really famous actors." I remember he wrote a lot for Comic Relief when they used to do lots of sketches and things, and he they could get anybody in, and they'd get really top actors in. You know, Alan Howard and uh, from the RSC and all these big RSC names and famous serious actors to come in and play roles in comedy sketches. And are they coming? And they'd be fucking terrible. They could not get it, you know. They'd they'd mess every joke up, and you'd sit there and cringe. And he'd say, "Just you know, no, just take a bit longer over that, you know. I mean, you know, give it a bit of a pause before you say that." Ah, I do absolutely, yes, of course, yes. And then, no, no, no idea, no idea. Brilliant, brilliant, serious actors couldn't couldn't deliver a comedy line in their lives, you know. But there you are. So yeah. Lucky, really. I'm lucky. And um, I was going to mention this. Uh, well, sort of tying it in with saying that you're now working with, I think, um, a lot of kind of the new generation and the newer comics coming through. And mm. uh, I'm tying this in as well with your brilliant podcast, My Time Capsule. It is really, really good. Great idea for a podcast and great guests as well. And the conversation's fantastic. Um, and I was really happy to see a couple of names on there. Who I, I believe you've worked. I know you've worked with one of them, and then mm-hmm. two acts who I've who I performed with before. Um, one of them was um, Athena um, Kugbanu. Uh, yeah, yeah, brilliant there, and uh, Ahir Shah as well. Who I've who yeah, I've absolutely. I've, I mean, I've I've no. I saw you in a sketch with him that was very good. Yeah, I mean, I've I've sort of I've been a fan of Ahir's for for quite a while actually. When that sketch we did, I think there was sort of one of those BBC Three things where they That's were just it, trying yeah, it out. And, you know, can you can you come and somebody rang me up and said, "Do you want to go and do this?" It's something you know, the money's terrible. And I said, "Oh, who is in it?" They said, I, "I said, oh, he's funny. No, I like him. He's really good. It's great." But you know him? I said, yeah. I mean, I like to keep abreast of, I like to watch out for these people because, you know, there's somebody like uh, Ellie White, who who I interviewed on, on her thing, who is absolutely, I mean, I don't know whether she'll ever be extremely famous. She ought to be. I mm. mean, I think, I have a feeling she could be, if she, if, if given the opportunity, uh, she could be another Olivia Coleman, uh, that I think she has a depth to her. Right. Acting that I think will uh, will come out eventually. At the moment, she tends to do comedy and do light comedy. I think she's such a skillful actress. I think she could easily do the other side of it. When I work, I work with Olivia on the very her first telly job. I think even before she did anything with, um, yeah, we did a pilot for with David Mitchell and Robert Webb for uh, Channel Four. Yeah, which didn't go anywhere, but. She was in that and really lovely. And then we did, she was in the episode of People Like Us that I, I did. And she was, it was so obvious. It was clear as a bell that she was going to be huge. I mean, we thought comically, we thought she would be a very famous comic actress, but we, we had no idea she was going to be as huge as she is. And I remember the same when I first saw Emma Thompson, when I was a student, we worked, you know, we came across each other in Edinburgh and thinking, Great. oh my God, you know. So when you when you come across these people, I think it's very clear. But Ellie, I would put down in my mind. I've been watching her, everything she's done uh, over the years, over the last ten years, really. You know, she's been around a while, but everything she's done has been so perfect, so beautifully uh, studied, and yeah. then delivered so that you wouldn't notice she'd ever studied it. That's that's the great skill, I think. Well, I mean, once again. Um, to use a football analogy, it kind of works a bit like that in football. Sometimes you can see these really kind of glimmers of hope and uh, yeah, yeah. sort of 
quality in some players who might be playing in the championships sometimes. And I suppose it's the same with, with comedy. And sometimes you just they just need to be in the right place at the right time. You look Absolutely, like Olivia yeah. Coleman, who for years was doing kind of AA adverts and was doing not alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous, I must stress. No. Car, car insurance. Uh, and she was doing kind of little bits and sitcoms. And yeah, normally, making a living. Yeah, like everybody absolutely. does. And then eventually, you just get in the right. I think it was um, it was the uh, Paddy Constantine film. She got put absolutely, in after being yeah. spotted from Hot Fuzz. Oh my god! Yeah, and it was rocket. Just went, oh my word! Look what she can do. Yeah. Just before she did that, I, I did um, look around you. Peter Brilliant! Amazing! Brilliant! So we did that together, and uh, we had great to. Show. I played a man. One of my, oh god, it had a brilliant line in it. It was the opening line of this sketch. I was sitting at a desk, a man was standing next to me, and I handed him an envelope. And he walked to the door and, and knocked on it. And I said, "Go out." <laughs> <laughs> and it, I just I don't know why it's so funny, but it just is a beautifully observed that show twist is amazing. on the world. Brilliant, so good brilliant. that show. But I had, uh, to, I had to French kiss Olivia for hours, <laughs> hours and hours. And genuinely, we had to do proper, proper real stogging. Brilliant. It was hours and hours. We had sore lips afterwards. It was one of those, you know. So which one are Oscar? Were you just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. See ya. Snogged her. See ya. Snogging. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of snog in me and her. I tell you that much. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'm I'm just conscious of time. Are you, are you have you got a little bit of time left? Are you okay? Well, I, you, you'll be able to edit this to something. Oh no, no! I'm going to keep us pretty much all of it in because it's fantastic honestly it's been i've been so looking forward to this and so thrilled when you agreed to come on um, okay. because as I said, you know, when I was uh, younger, you were literally on the, the early shows I'd watch. Uh, various things on CITV, BBC, and as I carry on now, and even you know, me and my wife sit through the Crown a couple of weeks ago, and there you are again. So it's it's uh, it's great. <laughs> I do I do I, pop up. Yes, it's, which is great. I mean, I I, I can't think of a, a a better job really. Um, I I wanted to uh, to mention the podcast as I said again because some of the mm. names you, you you've had on are, are fantastic. And now the concept of the podcast I love and it's to to do with um, obviously putting a time capsule of a variety of things away and putting them for the future. So what I want to ask yeah, you now, it's, 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 well the the, the 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 key thing is that they're personal things. Yeah, they're, they're, each person chooses five things from their life. That they that they treasure and they can be anything at all but you know five things that they treasure in fact four things they treasure one thing that they rather regret and would like to get rid of so then we talk about them and we put them in a time capsule and that's it that's all there is to it but it's um it's, it's, great. it's had some extraordinary results i have to yeah. say i mean i I've, I've listened to to quite a few episodes now and i'm really enjoying getting through them the mark gatiss one was amazing i love it it just yeah. sort of started in the middle of this great conversation about um a variety of things i mean richard herring is my my hero he's my comedy mm-hmm. hero i love listening to to anything he does and, and i thought and, his, then, uh, and then the great john lloyd took no notice at all of the rules of the thing if you ever listened to that he's <laughs> I'm the not one person that one yet. Where, where I said to him, you do, so you understand what we're doing, Johnny? He said, yeah, 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 we're t- putting things in a time capsule. I went, okay. <laughs> and then, so off we went. I turned around, I'll start recording. I turned it on. Not once did he ever mention a time, no. <laughs> oh, Just, brilliant. Uh, the end, he said, did I give you what, what you wanted there, Mike? I went, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so what I like to do, Mike, is I like to take some bits of uh, the comedian I'm speaking to, something they've done in their career, and kind of, Try and mould it, steal it a little bit, and throw it back at you. So what I'd like to do right. is, like, I want you're going to nick my idea, are you? That's oh, it. indeed. Yeah, I want, I want uh, uh, two, two answers here, though. I would okay. like to know one moment, one moment in your 
life of supporting Manchester United that you'd like to bottle and put into a mm. time capsule, remember it forever. Um, and another thing I'd like to do is I'd like you to pick one player ever who played for Manchester United who you would like to make an exclusive member of the Groovy Gang. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, strangely enough, the moment I would... It's not even a, it's not even a football moment, really. It sort of is. I was watching Man United playing, and, uh, and there was an injury. And David Beckham was standing on the, on the touchline, holding the football, uh, waiting for the game to restart. And as is the way during these moments, people tend to, to, uh, to shout at people. The crowd are so close. Again, we were at Palace, Crystal Palace, you know, which I suppose is probably fairly local to me, which is why I've been there a number of times to watch them play. Uh, and uh, somebody shouted, somebody leant over my shoulder and shouted, Oi, Beckham! And he turned around and looked at this man and he went, Your wife takes it up the arse! And it rang out around this stadium. Uh, the whole place went quiet. And you've got to remember this was this was after Cantona had jumped into the mm. crowd. So obviously this was an attempt to provoke Beckham. Yeah. And it was just it was the most shocking thing because you thought, if you said that to someone in the street, a stranger, yeah. You said that to someone in the street, nobody would object if that person then came over and thumped you. Oh, of course, yeah. My no, God. would. People say, well, of course not. Of course you did. Yeah. It's absolutely shocking. And I remember people thinking, oh, my God, that he's gone too far. That's You can't mm. say that to another person, yeah. even if they are a footballer on the pitch. You know? And I've yeah. heard people shout terrible things at footballers, but normally it's in the crowd. It was just so isolated. Yeah. And uh, a David Beckham, and I have to say, you know, he sort of went right to the top of my list of, of people as a result of it. He looked at this man and he stared him in the eye and he just he just shook his head very gently. And then class. he turned away from him. Turned away. Class. That's Beckham, pure class. Nothing. It was absolute class. And I thought, wow, what an extraordinary what has that man been through oh, in his career? That that something like that can just be, you know, brushed off his shoulder mm. gently. You know, just you stupid man. The amount of stuff they take the footballers, you know, as we've seen recently, not even on the pitch anymore, on social media, you're getting yeah, players racially abused, and it's it's, it's absolutely it's shocking. You know, people should be should be prosecuted without mm. a doubt for those things. It's 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 shameful, it's disgraceful that that we still have that in this country. Mm. You know, I grew up in a world where that was that was prevalent, mm. you know, and and not necessarily criticised very often. Yeah. And and even as a child, I remember thinking, "That's not nice. That's not right." Yeah, you know, of course. Why? Yeah. It, it's like with the Cantona thing. You know, at the time, I remember the press around it being like, you know, shocking. You know, the footballer behaving like this and and all that. But now, when you look back at it and you know the facts, people are going, "Well, fair enough, absolutely." Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know there are a, a couple of footballers that, who I mean, were jealous. Would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it the other way around. I did once go to watch it. <laughs> I went to watch uh, the League Cup final, Man United against Aston Villa. Mm. And uh, as we walked into the crowd, all the Man United fans, most of us London Man United fans, 
all stuck behind our colours a little bit because it was very aggressive. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, these were tough fans, and we went in. And then there was a, there was a moment uh, <laughs> when David Badillo was there, and, uh, and he was watching this match, and the crowd, there was, an in, again, an injury, and the crowd started singing because he's had, you know, three lions and everything at the time, and the crowd started singing, David, David, give us a wave, give us a wave, <laughs> give us a wave, David, David, and they just kept singing it. And, it, and this injury was, you know, a bad injury. It lasted a couple of minutes, and it just, you know, relentless. And I remember sort of tapping him on the shoulder and saying, well, go on, David. And he went, nah, they're setting me up. They're setting me up. <laughs> and I went, I thought, oh, well. And then I could see him thinking, and then he eventually just couldn't couldn't hold out any longer. And he, he rose up and put his hand in the air, and the entire crowd all went, Wanker! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bedil. So they are, they could be very cruel. As a, as a, they, you know, the fact that everybody knew that's what they were going to do. Oh. It's just brilliant, isn't it? And we, uh, funnily enough, uh, at Reading, we did that to Roy Keane. <laughs> <laughs> when he was manager of Sunderland, of all the players, he was just there. And he was he was getting quite agitated, and you what we did them we in. Were, we were near the Sunderland fans, and we mm -hmm. were kind of going, "Oh, Keno, give us a wave!" And he obviously thinking it was Sunderland fans, sort of put his hand, but he realised he was waving at the wrong area, and quickly yeah. turned, and it was way. <laughs> Shut up! I don't think he ever waved again. <laughs> I'm going to finish on the mm -hmm. the infamous comedians talking about football 10 question sudden death quiz. Are you prepared for the challenge? Uh, yes, I'd be, I shall fail miserably, I should imagine, but then off we go. Now, I will say, as I said, you're the uh, second Manchester United fan we've had on. And our first mm -hmm. Manchester United fan, Fitz, he got three out of 10. Yeah, and also uh, the Manchester City fan we had on. More importantly, yeah. he also got three out of ten. So at the moment it's three all, and this could be an opportunity to go ahead. Yeah, because you get another the... City fan on. I've, I've go. got to keep it. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. Uh, now I, I do always source my quizzes from the most respected places. So once again this week, um, our quiz is coming from thebino.com. Perfect. Yes. So, well, uh, I've read all of them, so, you know, I should know <laughs> the answer. Excellent. So, um, first question, question number one. Mm -hmm. What is the name of Manchester United's home ground? Now, don't worry, there are multiple answers. Bramall Lane, Elland Road, Old Trafford or St James's Park? <laughs> Man United's home ground is Old Trafford. Do I like that? So you know you're through. So we're one up. We're all good. You're safe. Thanks, Graham. Thank you, mate. <laughs> uh, one nil. One nil indeed. And the second question is, how old was David Beckham when he made his professional debut for Manchester United? Was he 26? Was he 18? Was he 21? Or was he 30? Professional debut. Well, I would have to go for 18. Do I like that? And you're absolutely correct. Thank you. Question three. Get this one right, and you're uh, you're on level with the mm -hmm. uh, the, the Manchester mm -hmm. 
area fans we've had so far. Um, so who was the manager before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Was it Jose Mourinho, Louis van Gaal, David Moyes or Alex Ferguson? Uh, so it was um, it was Mourinho. Do I like that? Correct. We're now on to question four. Uh, now, I think this one's quite a tricky one. Who was United's top goal scorer in the 2018-2019 season? Was it Marcus Rashford? Was it Juan Mata? Was it Anthony Martial or Paul Pogba? 18-19. Hmm. Uh, I think it was Martial. Or was it? Yes. I'm going for Martial. No, don't! Bloody! Well, I'm afraid that the question stays the same. It stays three, three and three. Oh, I got oh, this one wrong. It? I put was Rashford. It? The correct answer was Paul Pogba. Was it really? Yeah. Was it? I did not think that was the case. No. Um, I knew so, it wasn't Rashford. No, so there we are. Don't worry. It's, it's remains three, 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 three and three. And will we ever break this this deadlock? Don't <laughs> worry. You still, the worst we've had is is two out of ten. Lots of complaints about Nathan Caton's one. Oh, no. Damn nation. <laughs> But don't oh, worry, um, because yeah. as we always say, as we well, that's good because my second my second option was was one matter, so that's, I was I finished no trouble. But um, you don't go away empty-handed. I'm sending over to you a Manchester United football shirt, and it's uh, one with a bit of history to it. It is from the last season that you won the, the Premier League, along with obviously under oh, Alex Ferguson. Yes. So uh, I'm going to send you over a, a that that a- strip on. for you. Indeed. Lovely. Uh, so you, you get to take away a football shirt either way as a thank you for coming on this podcast because I really, really do appreciate it. It's been, it's been great for me as a comedy fan. Um, <laughs> what an honour. And to chat, I mean, I had no idea how much of a Manchester United fan you were. Um, uh, and I was going to ask as a final question, other than I know you were in the Mike Bassett series, but have you mm, ever... Filmed some of Mike Bassett in Reading. Oh, really? At the Reading ground, yeah. Oh, bless him, the old mad stad. Um, but I was going to say, uh, is there anything you'd like to do left in your career that is kind of football, more football-related or anything you'd really like to go in? I mean, obviously, <laughs> nutmegging one of the hardest <laughs> centre-backs in football, maybe you don't. But is there anything left you, you wouldn't mind doing? Like, I know there's maybe a, a, um, a docuseries, something like that, which would, would feature... Uh, something to do with Manchester United or work alongside any more players or do something in the future with the team? Yeah, no, uh, if you're going to do something, I'd like to do... Uh, I mean, I think that there's never really been a drama about... It may be because, you know, people are still alive, but uh, there's never really been a, a drama written or, or performed about the Munich air disaster and and uh, the story of players coming back for it. The fact that Bobby Chodden came back and did what he did after that, 58, eight years later, he's, he wins the World Cup. There you go, yeah. And obviously the 68 final as well. I mean, that would yeah. be a great kind of ride. I mean, you could do a whole crown-style series, really, on the history of of the of the Manchester United team. You know, Duncan Edwards and people like that, you know, it would just be amazing to, to look back on those players. I mean, I wish... It's a great shame that there isn't footage of them, really. That yeah. There isn't enough, isn't enough footage for you to get a sense of, of exactly what they were like. But uh, you know the fact that that <clears throat> all the older players and and older fans who talk about those players, they talk about having never seen the like. Mm. You know, that, that they've never seen talent like it. And you know, uh, I remember Bobby Charlton actually saying that that the, it was only when he finally saw Ryan Giggs come on the scene mm. that he thought 
you know, that there was somebody who might have got into the Busby Babes. Wow. And yeah, that's I quite mean, something, isn't it? You, know, you look back at some of those players, you, um, the, yeah, I mean, they're iconic. And obviously you've got, you know, um, players like Duncan Edwards who, who died when he was 21. They were so mm. young. It, it's it's back when back when footballers weren't that young. You know, the average age no, no. I think of footballer back then were kind of 30s. You'd play in, into your 40s. Yeah, these, yeah, yeah. These were, were kids. And yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. And one thing I would say is that they, they could make a film about... Um, the 99 cup final. And do you think maybe, you know, if you well, uh, yeah. shave the beard, uh, how's your Scottish <laughs> accent? Give you some gum do you to think chew? I could do it? Yeah, I think I so. Think I'd, yeah. Ah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> wouldn't that be great to be just be that? That's a funny, what do you say afterwards? It's a funny old game. Isn't it? That's it. Yeah. What a, what a great Greasy. thing to say. That's it's, the, that's in the theme tune of our, uh, of our show. It's is it? It's, just a, yeah. it's a great thing to say to someone. I after you know, who would expect that to happen? Who would think that would happen? Well, in fact, I'll tell you who thinks that would happen. I mean, I know his reaction to winning that game was, who would have thought that could happen? Who would have believed that football, yeah. football what are the things it brings up to you? But he did know it was going to happen. He did imagine it was going to happen because he took off defenders and put on new attackers. You know, mm. I mean, we ended up with sort of four attackers, but they didn't know what to do by Munich. They didn't, they would, they dominated the whole of that game. Yeah. And suddenly they had no idea what to do. And everybody in the crowd, everybody watching on the television, everybody who was a fan of Man United went, this is it. This is what we do. This is what this man does for us. This is the genius of him that when everybody else would have gone, well, I can't, you know, they'll they'll win 3 nil if I take the defenders off because they're so good. I have to keep... Pe- no, put another one on. Get Solskjaer on. Come on, put them on. Right, keep... Go- and, you know, those two goals came because Bayern Munich didn't know where to... They didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to play that sort of football. This isn't what we normally do. This is what anybody does. You don't do this. It was extraordinary. Mm. And so that moment... It's the fact that what it was, was that watching it, we believed that that was going to happen. We watched it intently. I watched every moment from the moment it went into extra time. I watched it like that going, come on, come on. Not please, please, not praying, not, but come on, you can do this. Mm. You know you can do this. I've seen you do this loads and loads of times. And the reason they did it is because they had that man who had the nerve to do that had the nerve to look, rather than thinking, you know, I daren't be beaten 3-0 because I'll look silly or I don't want to take the risk. Mm. Fuck it. Take that risk. Again and again, Man United, people said, oh, they're so lucky. They score with 30 seconds to go. It was never luck. Never luck. Teams were terrified of them. They suddenly came at them in a great wave of, of attacking power, just throwing themselves forward. And every now and again, it went wrong. Somebody would, you know, break away goal. But generally, it didn't because they, they they wouldn't they didn't dare leave their penalty area, and that's what happened to Bayern Munich that night. And it's one of the, it's one. I mean, every now and again, I allow myself the joy of going onto YouTube, right, and just going in a very indulgent way. I'm going to watch it again, and I let it wash over me once more. Brilliant. I think a lot it of fans can cry to that. every time. Every time I weep. Brilliant. 
absolutely love it mike it's been amazing to talk to you tonight i could talk to you about football and comedy and everything for hours on end i'm, I'm thank you for, for staying longer than i said i'd keep you as well <laughs> i really appreciate said. it my pleasure been a joy come yes. on you reds <laughs> How cool was that? This is exactly why I started the podcast. I cannot tell you how much fun it was to just sit on Zoom with Mike, both of us chilling with a beer in hand, and to be able to chat to a guy with such an amazing career and some absolutely insane stories about meeting and hanging out with some football legends. So a huge thank you to Mike Fenton-Stevens. The pleasure was all mine. And I really do hope we can have a beer in person one day because he carried on talking a bit after the recording and he's got so many other great stories. One I wish I'd recorded was he was talking about how essentially him and Angus Deaton were caught, I say playing, well, that sounds dodgy, actually. <laughs> well, basically, they found the trophy, the Champions League trophy, and decided to have a little bit of a hold of it. And they were caught by all people, Bobby Charlton. Anyway, I'll let him tell the story because we'll definitely get him back on. Um, you could probably do a whole podcast, actually, whole series on Mike's career. It's incredible. Do check out his brilliant podcast, by the way, My Time Capsule, which, as you heard, has been guested by some amazing people, including the only podcast appearance from David Jason. So give it a listen. It is great. Also, follow my Mike on Twitter at Fenton Stevens. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not go back and listen to the previous episodes or hit, why not hit subscribe as we have some excellent guests coming up. Until then, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time for more comedians talking about football. It's a funny old game. Football. At the end of the day. Football. It's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.